right, welcome back to another great episode of Dan on Top. I'm your host, Dan Lukowitz, and today we have with us Rebecca Weinerman, Acquisitions Associate at BND Holdings. Rebecca, how you doing? I am good. Thanks for having me. How are you, Dan? Doing great, and it's our pleasure. We're really excited to have you on the show. I'm sure you're going to pack this with a ton of value, telling us all about what you do. But before we get into what you do, I want to know who you are. So tell our viewers, who is Rebecca Weinerman? Um, so I am a uh, young 25-year-old. I work in real estate industrial acquisitions um, for a family office. Um I uh, just moved down to Miami, Florida, um, or rather in uh, January, and uh, I'm a young, hustling uh, entrepreneur. I guess I have an entrepreneurial spirit um, working for a family office, and uh, I could not be happier. Awesome. Awesome. Love that young hustle. That's what it's all about. So I love industrial. Industrial is a super hot category. We talk a lot about it on the show, but I want to know from you, first of all, tell us about the family office that you work for and why they've decided to focus specifically on that sector of acquiring industrial product. Yeah. So um, I work um, for actually, it's it's kind of a a cool story, but uh, the the company was actually founded out of the roofing supply world. It was a company called Bradco Supply, um, which was one of the largest roofing distribution companies in the country. Um, they sold to ABC, which is one of the largest or sure. the largest roofing distribution company in the country um, in the early seasons. Um They owned about 30 properties, 30 to 40 properties at the time of the sale, um, leased a bunch of them back to ABC. Um, and then since the early 2000s, we have grown the portfolio from 30 properties to about 165 properties and growing. Wow. Um, we buy a considerable amount um, every single year. Um, you know, it's very geographically diverse. Um, and uh, yeah, our, our really our bread and butter is really acquiring industrial um, and uh, really typically the smaller product. Um, but you know, uh, a great team, uh, very well known nationally and, uh, just a great family office to work for. Awesome. Awesome. So how did you get your start in real estate and what drew you specifically to this field? Yeah. So, um, it's funny because I always grew up, I, well, I grew up in, in a family and my dad was uh, a custom home builder growing up. And uh, my grandpa's actually a pretty big real estate investor in New Jersey. And even as a kid, I would say to my grandpa, like, oh, like with apartment buildings, I'd be like, oh, you know, what is that, this cash flow? And what is that cash flow? And how much money are you making off of that? So I always like kind of just took um, a natural liking to it, even as a kid um, and was always, you know, had the had the you know opportunity to listen in on all of my dad's conversations when he was building houses and whatnot. Um, I ended up actually working for a boutique uh, real estate uh, brokerage in New York City. Ironically, they were just sold to Compass. Mm. Um, and similarly, I uh, it was actually called Bold New York. Great team. Uh, worked for Sachs and uh, Melanie Krakauer. Um, and um, they uh, they really kind of showed me the ropes as far as, you know, the development side goes. And, uh, you know, after college, I had the pleasure of uh, going down to school in New Orleans 
uh, at uh, Tulane University and uh, kind of just couldn't picture myself doing anything else but uh, real estate. So um, been with the family office for about three years, started out as an analyst, and now I mainly uh, head up our acquisitions, which is wonderful and has me traveling around the country, uh, sometimes multiple weeks in a month. Wow. Um, but I've been doing way more than I could have ever imagined, which is uh, really incredible at, you know, at my age. That's awesome. Well, kudos to you for getting a, a young start. That's super exciting. So you specialize exclusively in industrial. Is that correct? Correct. Awesome. Well, can you um, share some of your overall views about the industrial sector and what's going on with industrial demand? Maybe even talk to us about how that's changed since this, since this global pandemic. Yeah. So, I mean, one thing, you know, I think pre-pandemic, I think, you know, everyone kind of just stuck to their own, you know, asset classes. People were typically buying retail or they were buying, you know, industrial. Some were doing multifamily. But I liked I've kind of coined my own phrase and I've said that, like, uh, you know, industrial is a new COVID occupation. So it's something that we've just always been drawn to because not only were we, you know, the operators of these industrial facilities, but we own them. So we just know, you know, the space very well. I would say it is transformed with COVID because I think it has been the most resilient sector. Sure. Um, you know, everything that you can think of, whether it's, you know, your toothbrush or, you know, uh, you know, a couch that you might be ordering, everything is either made in a warehouse, is stored in a warehouse. Right. And um, I think as the tastes and preferences of consumers kind of shift around, um, retailers are shifting from a smaller footprint um, and then basically storing their product in a warehouse nearby. Um, and then with that being said, I think there's also, you know, the demand is soaring because of that, um, but also because there is just a lot of shifting in populations. I myself am, you know, a, a key example of that moving from New Jersey down to Florida. And I think that, you know, supply producers, manufacturers just want to be even closer to the population centers. Um, and so as populations grow and shift, there's even a bigger demand for this, you know, last mile warehouse space sure. um, near bigger and bigger populations because everyone wants to be within slight distance of, uh, you know, whoever they're servicing. Absolutely. You know, you bring up a really good point. I think a lot of people have the misconception that industrial warehousing and industrial commercial real estate product is involved really just in e-commerce. But really, you said it quite well. There's There are very few products that we touch on a day-to-day -day basis that weren't either built in a warehouse or housed in a warehouse. And I think that what we're seeing is this huge shift to industrial, both you know, investor demand, um, institutional demand, and then just the general retail atmosphere of you know uh, just a, a greater necessity for last mile and cold storage. And this is a sector that's booming, that's on fire. But I believe personally that this is just the beginning. I do too, and uh, you know I'm on the phone all day long talking to brokers from you know all the way. California to New York and, you know, down to Texas. And literally every single person says to me, you know, industrial is on fire. There's no product here. You can't get your hands on it. Even in Austin, I, I laugh about it. And I was telling our managing principal about it. I'm, I was looking, uh, we were looking in, uh, in, in Texas and I had someone tell me, do not come here. There is nothing to, there's nothing to buy. <laughs> literally cancel your ticket verbatim. Someone said yeah. that to me. 
Um, but miraculously, I was able to get my hands on a few things. So uh, just shows you what's going on. It's That's really awesome. crazy. So what's your favorite part about working in the industrial real estate space? And how do you feel being a young woman in what is traditionally a male-dominated field? Yeah, so uh, that's that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, my favorite part about being uh, in the industrial sector is really kind of seeing it um, from two angles. I think that it allows you being in you know my shoes. Um, it allows you to see the product from a business owner standpoint. Um, you know, we have pretty strong tenant relationships, and I've been able to kind of solidify those as well. And um, they have an angle as to how they see buildings functionally working for them, whether it's, you know, truck courts or location and, you know, yeah, outside storage and whatnot. So I think that that's one of my favorite parts of it, kind of bringing uh, an investor's head together with a tenant's head and kind of making all of that happen. Sure. Um, because, you know, you make everyone happy in that sense. Um and um, as far as being a young woman in the field, I think it's, you know, it's certainly notoriously been a, uh, a boys club. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I love it. I mean, it's it's great. And and uh, I joke around all the time, but it couldn't be, you know, closer to the truth. But, you know, there's nothing I love more than, you know, walking into a big warehouse and walking around and, you know, picturing, you know, us buying it. I just think it's the tangibility of the industry that we're in is just um, pretty incredible that you can, you know, have a call with an owner or a broker and then go and see it and, you know, kind of make it all happen. And it's literally right there in your hands. So, yeah, uh, absolutely. but working with working, working in the, it's kind of like being like the only girl in a frat. Um, but I encourage <laughs> a lot of girls to get into it. Um, I'm always happy. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's kind of fewer and farther between that I find women in the fields. Um, but you know, it's, it's been great. Um, so yeah, I couldn't I couldn't be happier. Yeah, and that's something that I hope changes because I I also I mean it's it's clear as day it's really a an old boys club and I think that there's a tremendous amount of space for um, you know female brokers to really penetrate and have tremendous success. So you know speaking about specifically industrial product, have you noticed any shifts recently in terms of lease term? From what I've seen, a lot of industrial tenants are trying to lock into longer-term leases because of the concern that uh, rental rates are just appreciating at such a rapid pace. Yeah, I mean, I think that the elephant in the room, or lack thereof, is probably um, the increasing prices. And I think, you know, I was an economics major at Tulane, and I think that, you know, what I've learned is all it's all about kind of the tastes and preferences of the tenants. I think a lot of what we're seeing now could be a little bit more fear-based driven, where mm. tenants are afraid that, you know, at the end of their lease term, if they don't have options, um, that they are, you know, not going to be able to stay in the space or that they're going to be subject to a higher rental rate. I think it really all depends upon the tenant, you know, what their main business goals are. Um, but ideally, you know, the demands, especially from an investor side, is that they prefer to get, you know, longer lease terms. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I would say we're seeing definitely that's definitely a product of the increased demand is is longer lease terms, but also extremely compressed vacancy rates. Yeah. And just it, it, it's funny, I, you know, they have all these real estate memes online. But as soon as something hits the market nowadays, it's like 
you literally have a line out the door and they have, you know, uh, I saw a meme online with like, you know, all this like traffic around uh, a real estate listing uh, when it first hits the market. So it's really, it's really honestly the truth, but longer lease terms, higher rental rates and uh, just way more competition is, is really what we're seeing right now. Absolutely. What other trends, Rebecca, are you seeing? Maybe inside trends or insight in the industrial space today? Um, you know, the inside trend is kind of what I had said before. I think that we're seeing definitely a shift in um, tenants um, and 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 uh, investors wanting to be closer to growing population centers. Um, I would say as far as, you know, a building constructability standpoint, tenants are wanting to go even more vertical um, with their, you know, clear heights and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, tenants, I think, are just, you know, the demand is even more there um, for tenants wanting space and, and, and wanting to be near uh, consumer populations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's that's really what I've been seeing nationally. Um and I think that, you know, generally, uh, you know, in, industrial owners that have owned buildings that were in markets that weren't um, in as high demand, the the demand for, you know, prior less demand in marketplaces has just been soaring. Um, so the tertiary marketplaces have have really taken an, an uptick in uh, in value because of that. It's interesting. I think that a lot of, of things that previously were not appealing to investors are, are now starting to become more appealing. Things like tertiary markets, as you mentioned, things like shorter lease terms, um, just because of that lack of quality product on the market. So it's, it's interesting to see that shift, I think, from all brokers' perspective. And, and you know, I appreciate that you've echoed that. So I just wanted to ask you a question. From your perspective, you know, what is it like working at a small family office versus a large institutional firm? You know, as I said before, I really started out um, at a small office prior, and I think that it gives you the ability to um, kind of get things done in a quick and efficient manner. Um, If I could give anyone advice um, who is kind of in my shoes and is starting out in in the in the commercial space or the the real estate industry, I think being on a on a strong team and working with good quality people is paramount. Um, and so I think that having the ability to pick up the phone and call my managing principal and, you know, he's the key decision maker and getting things done. I think there's something beautiful to be said in that we're a small team and, you know, it's, it's a family office, but we're all made to feel like we're, we're a part of the family. Um, and you just, you know, I've, I've worn so many hats, um, working for a small business, everything from, you know, literally writing up amendments to, you know, negotiating directly with owners to, to putting in offers and uh, literally traveling a- around the country. So I think that's something that's, you know, um, a beauty, a beautiful part about working for a small office. And then, you know, I couldn't speak hi- more highly of, of the team that I work with. You know, Martin Siegel has uh, probably given me my learning lesson in, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's given me like probably a master's degree in real estate from the past three years, just because he knows the space so well and, and knows how to get deals done. And, uh, you know, our VP, Danny Harrison and Rob Logan and Justin Lucas, who does our construction, they've all just been in the space and, you know, working for a small team. It's just, 
you know, it's, it's a key, uh, you know, it's like we have our own little, um, powwow and, uh, you know, we're all able to bounce ideas off of one another and there's really no red tape. So we're able to execute very well capitalized firm and, uh, you know, there's pluses and minuses to everything. I definitely don't have, you know, uh, uh, a gang of kids that are my age working on a, a big floor, but I also think it's, it's enabled me to aggr- to grow a little bit more by working with, uh, you know, more or, or rather well-seasoned professionals. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, a little bit about working for a family office. That's wonderful. It sounds like you're really part of an incredible team, which I, I believe is so important. So I wanted to ask you, Rebecca, what character traits do you most attribute to your success and resilience? Um, so I think it's, it's probably, uh, a little bit of, you know, my personal quality, my personal, uh, personality traits. Um, my grandma was a Holocaust survivor, um, on my mom's side. So I think I probably adopted those, uh, survivor genes from her. Um, in college, I was, you know, always resilient and worked three jobs. I actually, uh, drove Postmates for my last two years in college, fun <laughs> fact, and did like 1,200 deliveries. I literally, I'm not wow. even kidding. And so that had really just taught me like, you just have to keep pushing, keep hustling. And uh, one thing that I've learned is that, you know, if you're not going to work hard, someone else is going to step That's in and work 10 right. times harder than you and uh, push to get deals done. So um, I always have that kind of in the back of my mind that I don't want someone, you know, jumping ahead of me and getting something done. I want to be the first one to get it done and uh, want to do it in the best way possible. Um, so I think that, uh, yeah, all that all that kind of contributes to it. Awesome. Well, hey, Rebecca Weinerman, thank you so much for taking time out to provide tremendous value to our viewers. We really appreciate it. Yes, thank you for having me and uh, hope to chat again soon and uh, hopefully get some deals done. You got it. You know we will. Well, hey, I'm Dan Lukowitz. This has been another great episode of Dan on Top. We'll look forward to seeing you soon.